0: All right, welcome to Rockford Reading Daily. Not sure what episode this is, I think it's 50 something, but we are reading Angela Davis, Women, Race, and Class. We are on page 11. Okay, let's continue. When the tentative pre Civil War forays into factory work gave way to an aggressive embrace of industrialization in the United States it robbed many white women of the experience of performing productive labor. Their spinning wheels were rendered obsolete by the textile factories. Their candle-making paraphernalia became museum pieces, like so many of the other tools which had previously assisted them to produce the articles required by their families for survival. As the ideology of femininity a byproduct of industrialization, was popularized and disseminated through the new ladies' magazines and romantic novels, white women came to be seen as inhabitants of a sphere totally severed from the realm of productive work. The cleavage between the home and the public economy brought on by industrial capitalism established female inferiority more firmly than ever before. Quote, Woman, end quote, became synonymous in the prevailing propaganda with, quote, mother, end quote, and, quote, housewife, end quote. And both, quote, mother, end quote, and quote, quote, housewife, end quote, bore the fatal mark of inferiority. But among black female slaves, this vocabulary was nowhere near, was nowhere to be found. The economic arrangements of slavery contradicted the hierarchical sexual roles incorporated in the new ideology, Male-female relations within the slave community cannot, therefore, conform to the dominant ideological pattern. Much has been made of the slaveholders' definition of the black family as a matriarchal... Excuse me, sorry about that. Much has been made of the slaveholders' definition of the black family as a matriarchal biological structure. Birth records on many plantations omitted the names of the fathers listing only the children's mothers, and throughout the South, state legislators adopted the principle of partis sequitur venetrum. The child follows the condition of the mother. These were the dictates of the slave owners, who fathered not a few slave children themselves, but were they also the norms according to which the slaves ordered their domestic relationships among themselves. Most historical and sociological examinations of the black family during slavery have simply assumed that the masters' refusal to acknowledge fatherhood among their slaves was directly translated into a matriarchal family arrangement of the slaves' own making. The notorious 1965 government study on the, quote, Negro family, end quote, popularly known as the, quote, Moynihan Report, end quote, directly linked the contemporary social and economic problems of the black community to a putatively matriarchal family structure. Quote, in essence, end quote, wrote Daniel Moynihan. Quote, the Negro community has been forced into a matriarchal structure which, because it is out of line with the rest of the American society, seriously retards the progress of the group as a whole and imposes a crushing burden on the Negro male and, in consequence, on a great many Negro women as well. End quote. According to the report's thesis, the source of oppression was deeper than the racial discrimination that produced unemployment, shoddy housing, inadequate education, and substandard medical care. The root of oppression was described as a, quote, tangle with pathology, end quote, created by the absence of male authority among black people. The controversial finale of the Moynihan Report was a call to introduce male authority, meaning male supremacy, of course and to the black family and the community at large. One of Hines' quote liberal end quote supporters, the sociologist Lee Rainwater took exception to the solutions recommended by the report. Rainwater proposed instead jobs, higher wages and other economic reforms. He even went so far as to encourage continued civil rights protests and demonstrations. But like most white sociologists and some black ones as well, he reiterated the thesis that slavery had effectively destroyed the black family. As a result, black people were allegedly left with, quote, the mother centered family with this emphasis on the primacy of the mother child relation and only tenuous ties to a man. End quote. Today, he said, quote, men often do not have real homes. They move about from one household where they have kinship or sexual ties to another. They live in flap houses and rooming houses. They spend their time in institutions. They are not household members in the only, quote, homes, end quote, they have. The homes of their mothers and of their girlfriends, end quote. Neither Moynihan nor Rainwater had invented the theory of the black family's internal deterioration under slavery. The pioneering work to support this thesis was done in the 1930s by the renowned black sociologist E. Franklin Frazier. In his book, The Negro Family, published in 1939, Frazier dramatically described the horrendous impact of slavery on black people, but he underestimated their ability to resist these insinuations into the social life they forged for themselves. He also misinterpreted the spirit of independence and self-reliance black women necessarily developed and thus developed the fact that, quote, neither economic necessity nor tradition had instilled in the black woman the spirit of subordination to masculine authority, end quote. Motivated by the controversy unleashed by the appearance of the Moynihan Report, as well as by his doubts concerning the validity of Fraser's theory, Herbert Gutman initiated his research on the slave family. About 10 years later, in 1976, he published his remarkable work, The Black Family in Slavery and Freedom. Gutman's investigations uncovered fascinating evidence of a thriving and developing family during slavery. It was not the infamous matriarchal family he discovered, but rather one involving wife, husband, children, and frequently other relatives as well as adoptive kin. Discovering himself from the questionable economics, excuse me, disassociating himself from the questionable ecocentric conclusions reached by Fogel and Ingerman, who claim that slavery left most families intact, Gutman confirms that countless slave families were forcibly disrupted. The separation, Indiscriminate sales of husbands Wives and children Was a terrifying hallmark of the North American variety of slavery But as he points out The bonds of love and affection The cultural norms governing family relations And the overpowering desire To remain together survived the devastating onslaught of slavery And then I want to take a moment There to reflect upon The this And this has been a and this, this book was written in ooh, let me find out what, what what date this book was written in because that does have some type of that does have bear importance. Again, we're reading "Women, Race, and Class" by Angela Y. Davis. Okay, this book was first published in February 1983, and I think that that is important to give context to some of the some of the things that she may speak about that were taking place in that present time period. However, I think that uh, the time in which it was written is irrelevant as far as it is concerned with the validity that it still has today. And So I think that even though this was written in and released in the 80s, it still has a validity in 2021 or 2022, depending on when you're listening to this, as if it was just released today. I think that another one of the things I want to point out And for people who have been listening to these different RAFA readings, one of the things I'm trying to do my best at is connecting previous pieces of literature that we've read to the pieces of literature that we may be reading currently. And so I think that Cornel West, out of all the different books that we've read so far, Cornel West's book, Race Matters, was the one that took the most time to speak about the culture of uh, black people in America, to speak about the uh, to speak about some of the norms or the sociological the sociological aspect of black people in America, not necessarily necessarily keeping it strictly to a political nature or about policy or procedure or even just about history. I think that even though Angela Davis has taken time to give us a, a reflection on history, it's giving us a look into the the culture of black people during slavery, uh, and not simply just a roundabout history lesson of this event happened, this event happened, this event happened. And so within there, within that context, one of the things that we have seen happen regularly is specifically white people, uh, but also black people as well. But more in generally white people trying condemning the culture of black people or, or speaking about a sociological issue that if, that exists within black society in america america or black people in america that is a hindrance to black people having an equitable existence here to other ethnicities and other races that is They speak about the uh, specific things to black culture being hindrances to black people rising up uh, from the oppression and exploitation that they've uh, that they've dealt with here. And a lot of times one of the things they speak about is the family dynamics. They speak about uh, black men not being inside of the homes. If you've read the book, The New Jim Crow, uh, Michelle Alexander touches on that in a section of her book, and she speaks about how mass incarceration has been one of the reasons that black men have not been inside of the homes. And and that is one of the things that's being brought up here. They speak about how people were writing books and trying to diagnose why or diagnose the black condition in America. And even to this day, 2021, one of the things that you'll hear black people uh, echo as well, uh, but predominantly white people, specific, a lot of times white uh, right-leaning people, they will echo the sentiment that... Uh, the reason that black people deal with some of the issues they have is because there's not more black men in the homes and and they don't they they speak about it as if it is something that is inherent to black men or that it is something that black men themselves have done to be in this position. And in reality, as you look back, you see how institutions in this country have regularly Uh, remove black men from homes or have regularly traumatized black men uh, leading to a a psychology that has uh, made them absent from homes and but you also see that uh, black men are present in homes very much as well too in that it is a a sort of a propaganda technique that they put out to say well black men aren't in the homes because they don't want black men to be in the homes or uh, black their black it's a black family cultural problem or a cultural problem within black people because they want that to be uh, the issue that is going on, and they want to divert attention from the systemic and systematic things that uh, white America and America in general has done to remove black men from inside the home to uh, demasculinate uh, black men. Uh, but they also do that with the. But and, and again, I want to make sure that we said I state that the the. Extent to which they speak about the absence of black men or the the, the negative aspect of black culture or uh, it, black women. You know, sometimes you tell talk about how black women are too much at the center than, uh, you know, or too centered. And it's uh, black women are raising the home and it's uh, no man in the household. All of these different things are also done in an effort to delegitimize uh, black women are also done in an effort to try to. Uh, to delegitimize the things, the 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 actions that black women have taken in uh, single-parent households or in households that may be uh, more considered matriarchal. Uh, so I think that both of those things are important to state that it's reasons that black men are, have been absent, to state that the extent that they speak about black men being absent is, is false. And then I'll also say that both of those uh, arguments are made to delegitimize the uh, efforts and actions of black women. Okay, let me figure out where we stopped at here. One second. Okay. On page 15. <clears throat> On the basis of letters and documents, such as birth records retrieved from plantations listing fathers as well as mothers. Gutman demonstrates not only that slaves adhere to strict norms regulating their familial arrangements, but that these norms differ from those governing the white family life around them. Marriage taboos, naming practices and sexual mores, which incidentally sanction premarital intercourse, set slaves apart from their masters. As they tried desperately and daily to maintain their family lives, enjoying as much autonomy as they could seize, slave men and women manifested irrepressible talent in humanizing an environment designed to convert them into a herd of subhuman labor units. Quote, everyday choices made by slave men and women, such as remaining with the same spouse for many years, Naming or not naming the father of a child taking as a wife a woman who had children by unnamed fathers giving a newborn child the name of a father an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent and dissolving an in incompatible marriage contradicted in behavior not in rhetoric the powerful ideology that viewed the slave as a perpetual quote child in quote or a repressed quote savage in quote. Their domestic arrangements and kin networks together with the enlarged communities that flow from these primordial ties made it clear to their children that the slaves were not, quote, non-men and, quote, non-women, end quote. It is unfortunate that Gutman did not attempt to determine the actual position of women within the slave family. In demonstrating the existence of a complex family life encompassing husbands and wives alike, Gutman eliminated one of the main pillars— on which the matriarchy argument has stood. However, he did not substan- substantially challenge the complementary claim that where there were two parent families, the woman dominated the man. Moreover, as Gutman's own research confirms, social life in the slave quarters was largely an extension of family life. Thus, women's role within the family must have defined, to a great extent, their social status within the slave community as a whole. Most scholarly studies have interpreted slave family life as elevating the women and debasing the men, even when both mother and father were present. According to Stanley Elkins, for example, the mother's role, quote, loomed far larger for the slave child than did that of the father. She controlled those few activities, household care, preparation of food and rearing of children that were left to the slave family, end quote. The systematic designation of slave men as quote, boys by the master was a reflection, according to Elkins, of their instability to execute or excuse me, their inability to execute their fatherly responsibilities. Kenneth Stent pursues this line of reasoning even further than Elkins. Quote, the typical slave family was matriarchal in form for the mother's role was far more important than the father's. And so far as the family did have significance, it involved responsibilities which traditionally belonged to the women, such as cleaning house, preparing food, making clothes, and raising children. The husband was at most his wife's assistant, her companion, and her sex partner. He was often thought of as her possession, Mary's time, as was the cabin in which they lived. It is true that domestic life took on an exaggerated importance in the social lives of slaves, for it did indeed provide them with the only space where they could truly experience themselves as human beings. Black women, for this reason, and also because they were workers just like their men, were not debased by their domestic functions in the way that white women came to be. Unlike their white counterparts, they can never be treated as mere, quote, housewives, end quote. But to go further and maintain that they consequently dominated their men is to fundamentally distort the reality of slave life. In an essay I wrote in 1971, using the few resources allowed me in my jail cell, I characterized the significance of the slave woman's domestic functions in the following way. Quote, in the infinite anguish of ministering to the needs of the men and children around her, she was performing the only labor of the slave community which cannot be directly and immediately claimed by the oppressor. There was no compensation for work in the fields. It served no useful purpose for the slaves domestic labor was the only meaningful labor for the slave community as a whole. Precisely through performing the drudgery which has long been a central expression of the socially conditioned inferiority of the women, the black woman in chains could help to lay the foundation for some degree of autonomy, both for herself and her men. Even as she was suffering under her unique oppression as female, she was thrust into the center of the slave community. She was, therefore, essential to the survival of the community, end quote. And then hold on real quick. We're going to stop this segment. We'll be right back. All right. Let's pick back up where we have stopped off at on the top of page or the middle of page 17. <clears throat> I have since realized that the special character of domestic labor during slavery is centrality to men and women in bondage, involved work that was not exclusively female. Slave men executed important domestic responsibilities and were not, therefore, as Kenneth Stamp would have it, the mere helpmate of their women. For while women cooked and sewed, for example, men did the gardening and hunting. Yams, corn, and other vegetables, as well as wild animals such as rabbits, opossums, and opossums were always a delicious addition to the monotonous daily rations. This sexual division of domestic labor does not appear to have been hierarchical. Men's tasks were certainly not superior to and were hardly inferior to the work performed by women. They were both equally necessary. Moreover, from all indications, the division of labor between the sexes was not always so rigorous. For men would sometimes work in the cabin and women might tend the garden and do the hunting. The salient theme emerging from domestic life in the slave quarters is one of sexual sexual equality. The labor that slaves performed for their own sake and not for the aggrandizement of their masters was carried out on terms of equality. Within the confines of their family and community life, therefore, black people managed to accomplish a magnificent feat. They transformed that negative equality which emanated from the equal oppression they suffered as slaves into a positive quality, the egalitarianism characterizing their social relations. Although Eugene Genovese's major argument in Roe, Jordan, Roe is at best problematic, i.e. that black people accepted paternalism associated with slavery, he does present an insightful, though abbreviated, picture of the slaves' home life. Quote, The story of the slave women as wives requires indirect examination. To deduce it from an assumption that the man was a guest in the house will not do. A review of the actual position of men as husbands and fathers suggests that the position of women was much more complex than usually credited. The women's attitude toward housework, especially cooking, and toward their own femininity by itself belies the conventional wisdom according to which the women unwittingly helped ruin their men by asserting themselves in the home, protecting their children, and assuming other, normally masculine responsibilities. While there is a touch of male supremacy in his analysis, implying, as he does, <clears throat> that masculinity and femininity are immutable concepts, he clearly recognizes that, quote, what has usually been viewed as a debilitating female supremacy was in fact a closer approximation to a healthy sexual equality than was possible for whites, Whites, and perhaps even for postbellum blacks. Quote. The most fascinating point Genovese raises here, although he does not develop it, is that women often defended their men from the slave system's attempts to demean them. Most women, perhaps a substantial majority, he says, understood that whenever their men were degraded, so too were they. Furthermore, quote, they wanted their boys to grow up to be men and knew perfectly well that, to do so, They needed the example of a strong black man in front of them, end quote. Their boys needed strong male models to the very same extent that their girls needed strong female models. And then that's a a changing in the passage or the changing in the themes within this first chapter here a little bit. I think the first thing I want to point out here is uh, as I read through this, as I read about how. Through slave times or during the, the slavery period, there was, an, there was an equality in the roles of both uh, male slaves and female slaves within the, uh, the household and within the family dynamic system of, of slaves. It makes me think of a, a statement I heard from H. Rap Brown, who was a, a prominent orator uh, and activist in the late 60s and the 70s who said uh, in one of his speeches, he said that repression brings the masses of people together. Uh, And it was more uh, to that statement that he gave. But that's one of the things that has always stood out to me is that uh, the concept that repression repression brings the masses of people together. And I think that sometimes during periods of repression or during periods of oppression or exploitation, uh, there are uh, su- marginalized groups and subjugated groups find ways to defeat some of the the negative ideologies that exist within the mainstream. And so the negative ideology of male superiority and female inferiority that was existing and permeating American society during slave times and during the slave period that we're reading about within slavery, within the the slave household and the slave family, you can see how they were able to defeat those concepts of male superiority and female inferiority because of the fact they did not have the luxury. Women did not have the luxury. Uh, excuse me. I don't want to say women did not have the luxury, but yeah, yeah, I do want to say because the women, the slave women and black women, as was being pointed out here, did not have the luxury of being viewed as women unless it was uh, around some type of sexual assault or unless it was around some type of childbearing. But when it became, Uh, going to the fields they were expected to produce like a man when it was about being with time for corporal punishment they were expected to deal with it like a man uh... or in and in the same manner that a man would deal with it and so i think that because of that added peculiar peculiarity of slavery that added aspect it made it so that i I would imagine being a, a man during that time period Seeing that you and this, uh, you and a woman have to bring in the same amount, seeing that you and a woman get the same whippings and the same lashings, uh, to see that, uh, and to know that as black people, you were inherently tied to every other black person that was around you and to the things that, and whatever happened to another black person around you meant that it was more, uh, it was possible for those same things to happen to you, that that connectedness. Uh, made them be able to rise above these concepts of male superiority and female inferiority because they seen in their everyday application that it it was a, a false it was a false narrative it was it was not something that was real something that was tangible because they were seeing that males and females were expected to bring in the same amount and dealt with the same amount of uh, uh, of of oppression and so I think that that concept is something that we have to Keep at the forefront of our minds as we struggle currently and remember that that is uh, as a people where we derive from, we derive from a place where the false concepts of male superiority and female inferiority were not something that we uh, as a people had the luxury of having. Uh, and so in in here again, you, they talk about how regularly the male is is demeaned or demoralized or demasculi- demasculinated, uh, and and so that also gets you into a place where uh, the the concept of male superiority was something that was not being applied. Being a man did not keep them keep. Being a man did not have them higher on the totem pole uh, in slavery than women. Uh, It was pointed out here how sometimes women were seen to be as more valuable because of the fact that they could produce children and have children. Uh, And you on page like 19. I have done a lot of talking as we've read through this. I want to see how much we got left in this chapter. We Still got a nice amount left in this chapter. I don't want to rush through anything. So let's go ahead and end this episode here. And we will be back with the next episode tomorrow. And we might make this next episode a little bit longer so that way we can try to get through this chapter. All right. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to this episode. Uh, please go back if you haven't listened to previous episodes of Rock for Reading Daily. And please share this on whatever platform you're taking the time to listen to it on. Follow us on Facebook. Like us on Twitter subscribe on youtube all the social medias and things of that nature remember that we put these episodes out on a daily basis to present people the opportunity to either begin or to further their journey on the struggle to end police terrorism mass incarceration and racial injustice this is a this episode these episodes this book will be heavy on the racial injustice uh, standpoint all right we outside